when I was um, in undergrad, like, I don't know, whatever, 15 years ago or something, I took a, a weaving class, like, with, on a loom, and I, I still see the influences of that in my work all the time. You know, just having, having a structure with strings that are pulling to make something happen, to make a beautiful fabric, like, that's... Um, that's all in there somewhere. Loading artists, audio inside. Loading artists, audio inside. Oh, it's odd cast, it's odd cast, it's odd cast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen by your easel, maybe you can grab a chair Or even take it with you like you ain't got no care Loading artists Audio inside Loading artists Audio inside So sit back and relax and grab your headphones too Adjust your volume, it's hotcast Philip J. Mellon welcomes you, so sit back, oh yeah, it's ArtCast. Loading artists, audio inside. Loading artists, audio inside. Hello, and welcome to part two of the interview with Philadelphia-based artist Katie Wynn. Here we'll discuss the new installation work to be installed in the show titled Familiars, a two-person exhibition with Haynes Riley. Familiars opens Friday, April 7th at Sediment Arts in Richmond, Virginia. Now on to the interview. In your installation work, are they generally site-specific? You know, um... I guess so. It's funny when I think about like site specificity, I feel sometimes like if I say yes, it seems a little bit funny because it always ends up in a, some kind of white cube. Yeah. You know, it's not site specific, like to a, a certain landscape or a certain, you know, this one building in one place, like that sort of a thing. Um, and I don't know, maybe that's just me like putting that on myself, that, that that's um, some caveat I'm putting on the definition of site-specific. But, but they are, in a sense. So there was a piece um, that you had looked at, um, Avert Your Gaze and You Will Lose Your Love. Yeah. Like, that's a good example of one where it was made... I knew that it was going into a window, this like bay window of an old storefront that would face the street and right. that it would be on at night and people be able to see it from the street. So like that is, you know, I was aware of where it was headed for that. Um, there are other installations where I knew the dimensions of the space and could plan a piece in my studio that was going to, you know, fill that space out in a certain way. So it's like, site-specific in that way, for sure. So 
in one sense, like, what was it like to install, like, have you installed the same piece in different locations? Yeah, yeah. It usually gets better the second time. <laughs> <laughs> I've been trying to learn a lesson from that because, you know, in the studio, like, for example, if I do know the dimensions of a space and I know I'm making an installation for that, you know, for a show in that space. And so you're like, measure, tape it all out in the floor in the studio and I'm like planning it all out. And sometimes you can kind of suffocate something, you know, you sort of over plan it. Um, and it looks okay in the installation, but in shows where I've been able to take that stuff and then reinstall it somewhere else, um, I can't use those same dimensions. And so it just sort of gets, gets some new life breathed into it. Okay. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I'm trying to, in fact, with this new show, I'm really trying to keep that in mind because I feel like um, I've made that mistake before. Oh yeah. I'm letting things move around a little bit more fluidly now. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. They're, um, now the show, the title itself is Familiars, correct? Yeah. The title of the show is Familiars and it's me and, um, another artist, a friend of mine named Haynes Riley. Okay. So we wrote a proposal and submitted it to the gallery down in Richmond called Sediment. Um, and it's going to be both of our work, um, which will help me because we're going to have to mix it together and, and just kind of see what, you know, what falls together correctly when we're in the space. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. We're both bringing down a little bit more work, um, than we'll probably need so that we can really spend a week kind of deciding where things go and what goes with what and, you know, um, let the you know let that installation be a big part of the process oh cool yeah so i was just wondering if uh, i was going to ask you but i think you kind of answered it the idea that you have you ever had to leave a piece of say uh, a specific installation out of the out of the setup yeah oh. well probably less so in the past and okay. it's actually something i'm trying to do more of now so so in a lot of my previous recent work, I know what's going in and I've planned it all out. And often I'm doing that because I don't have a big window of time to install the show, you know? Okay. So if you only have two or three days, um, to install a large installation, it's like yeah. too, way too much anxiety <laughs> <laughs> to show up, <laughs> you know, to travel, you know, to some other state show up and like, try to decide what's going to look good. It's like, you know, just, you have to know yourself, I think as an artist and like mentally, that's just too much for me to leave until the last minute. Yeah. Um, and so part of why, um, I actually, when I saw the proposal, um, that, that this gallery sediment was taking proposals, I thought, well, I don't want to do a show by myself because what I'll end up doing is I'll make an installation and I'll kind of do the same thing. Um, and so I thought I'm going to make, a, I'm going to propose a two person show and that way, um, I can show with, with my friend Haynes, whose work I love and it will kind of make me not control the whole space. I'll have oh, to, wow. you know, kind of give some of that over, leave a little bit more fluidity and also I won't have to fill as much space. So I don't have to be as stressed about kind of where everything's going to end up. Yeah. Um, so this is probably the first time that I'm going down to a show and kind of 
expecting not to put everything in. Oh, yeah. wow. Okay. Yeah, it's yeah, new. You sent me a video. I'm sorry? It's new. It's different for me. Yeah. Yeah, because you sent me a video of, of the work up in your studio. Yeah. And I feel like um, it's actually more... Like, there's a lot of openness, and I, I wanted to call it, like, a breath between, like, the objects or the, you know, the mechanisms and all that. Yeah, yeah. And, but it seems like, even though it's a two-person show, it seems like you've gone bigger, let's say, than, than some of your other work, which, you know, wouldn't take up as much room in, in a gallery. That's, you might be right. <laughs> um, yes. Although, I think, so, in the videos and in the pictures I sent you, the space that the gallery is is actually probably almost twice the size okay. of the footprint of that studio area. So there is more space and it's likely that some of those like t-shirt pieces and stuff will, will be further apart from each other once they get installed oh, wow. um, in the gallery. Yeah. Um, I mean, we'll see. It's kind of, you know, to be determined. Right. But we're hoping that we're hoping for, to have something that does sort of have a lot of a lightness to it. Like you said, like there's a lot of breath in between, a lot of space between yeah. the objects. Yeah, that's cool. Um, now, I just wanted to go back a little bit. And what with the, the work that's going to be in Familiars, there's actually a lot of this too, is like the raw wood, like the yeah. clean sort of untreated wood. or mm -hmm. And I find it interesting, and I just wasn't sure... Uh, the I guess the thinking or just simply the the choice to use that amongst uh, yeah. let's say some older work which is a lot of fabrics and then you have uh, like an L-shaped wood screwed to the to the gallery wall or, or studio wall that holds string and what have you. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've been using the raw wood for a while now, probably at least a few years. It's been a part of installations, and it's kind of maybe the sort of balance of other materials to this new, you know, lumber has, has kind of shifted where there's now more lumber in the show than like spots of fabric and color and things. Yeah. So yeah. That's been traveling in that direction for a while. But at some point when I was first having shows and making work, I got really, just enamored with that tension between drawing and sculpture and how when you look at a drawing or a painting and maybe this, you know, I think painters also deal with this same issue because we're like, you know, photography was invented and all that stuff happened. So you don't have to just replicate images anymore. But I feel like, you know, you have a rectangle, you know, a two dimensional image painting, whatever it is, you enter that like without any doubt, right? You just, we all agree that if we look at a painting, we're entering this sort of, this situation and anywhere you want to move colors around and do things in there is yeah. fine, right? It's an accepted kind of rectangle for things to happen. Right. Um, and it sort of struck me one time when I, when I put my own little sculptures in a show that they felt like little drawings and they didn't really feel like they were dealing with the fact that they existed in real time in a room in space. Yeah. So does that make sense? Well, my, yeah. as soon as you said that, my mind went to thinking that they act as frames, even though they're, they're somewhat functional at the same time, 
But yeah. that, like, we, we know that, like, an uh, uh, L-shaped, you know, lumber, as you say, that sticks out. And that, to me, it kind of, um, like, it, it almost makes it a little more real. Like, I, I, in some of my notes, like, about your work, I thought that that is, like, we know that. That's, like, understandable. And yeah. More so than, say, some of the, the work that you put into painted cardboard dangling over and, and blooming out. Yeah. Um, similar to the fabric, you know, which I think yeah. is a little more unknown, at least right off the bat. Yeah, totally, totally. So how do they so, relate to it? Another? Well, I think, yeah, so part of it is is that tension where, like, the cardboard stuff, the fabric stuff is functioning at times like a drawing or sort of, like, letting you come into some sort of, I don't quite want to say fantasy, but the sort of space in which drawing is believable and abstract painting is believable. So you kind of like, you have that aspect to the installation and then something like the newer wood becomes a frame or kind of like it interrupts that. It kind of is a tension for that where yeah. you, you're reminded that you're in real space with real like present materials and you're in a room with it. You know, it's not, it's not just, um, another realm that you go into or something. Yeah, it, it meets you halfway and a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. I like the idea of sort of bringing a certain narrative to a point and then dropping it so that you're, you're kind of straddling sort of two places. That's cool. Actually, uh, would you mind if I share a quote? Yeah, go ahead. It made me, what you just said made me think of it. Um, and of course, when I was looking at your work, it's by a French poet or credited to a French poet, Paul Valéry. He said that a poem is never finished, only abandoned. Yeah. So. Sounds, I love that. I love that. <laughs> yeah. It was shared by another artist in an interview years ago, and I just I hung on to it because I, I, I really enjoy it. And I think it makes sense when it, whether, no matter whether you're painting or, say, in your case, you know, making insulation. But, you know, the wood kind of finds that its place in that quote. For yeah. Me. Yeah. And I've often written, like, as part, as part of artist statements and things, this idea that my installations are a scene for action and abandon. And so I've used that word like as a, you know, you're meticulously working something over and then you just walk, you know, and then it's just left there. And yeah, it's yeah. an unfinished moment. <laughs> That's, That's perfect. Yeah. I feel like with the, the, the lumber again, if I feel like it brings a, a level of intimacy to the work. And I may have said something similar to that earlier, but and it's almost like a behind-the-scenes look at the very walls of the space in the gallery. Like they're yeah. they're they're like you know, protruding from behind this white, clean surface, and influencing the the piece so much. So how is there a separation? I don't know. <laughs> I just found that to be interesting to think about. Yeah. Um, Do you mean a separation between the the wood and the gallery wall. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's definitely a, a territory I, I want it to be in. Um, oh, cool. Like, yeah. So, I mean, when you install anything, any sort of art show, you're hanging it on the wall or you're putting it on a pedestal or whatever. And so, yeah. you know, um, it's like a, it's a pretty old problem, but it's like, how do you, how do you make the work actually, um, activate that space in some kind of way where you're thinking about, let's say, the t-shirt moving, 
but you're also thinking about it within this wooden framework, which is in relation to a ceiling, which is in relation to a doorway that you walk through and kind of like letting those things all, you know, have an interplay together. Yeah, I, I think it really does uh, play with the space, like the newer work for me. And, um, you know, I have some things I like to talk about that with, but I, I don't, you know, I'm a painter mostly, and I feel like with with the the work that's going in familiars, to me, that's like composing the way a painter would in some way, because you're dealing with like negative space, which I, you know I think is kind of there um, for the viewer to walk through, and also to see it as a drawing too, because there's uh, you know the strings, not just the strings, but it's a little more flat. There's no uh, cage of a fan that adds like volume to the to the space and various things like that. Like it's very uh, open. And yeah, and I think you're absolutely right. And like the fabric. Yeah, none of it really has volume. The, even the t-shirt fabric is, it's just a skin. It's like a curtain almost. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I think part of that, like, thinking about it as a drawing, um, it's it's partially unfinished yet because I need to get, when it goes down to Richmond and it and I add Haynes's work, um, which is also very kind of minimal for this show. He has, like, these metal metal shelving units, these empty okay. shelves. I think they're going to have maybe some water or something on them. You know, he's working on things down in his studio in Arkansas right now. So it's still going to have this linear, you know, negative space tone to oh, it. Oh, cool. And Did you say tension? Yeah, or tension, yeah. yeah. And so part of that is going to be how do we kind of make those things work in a drawing together? <laughs> That'll be oh, a good wow. way to think about it. Yeah. It's like a, you organized material in this new one. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm you know? really trying to... I guess the way I see it is sort of like the first cardboard forms I did, um, which was way back. It was a piece called Room, and they were about volume, and they were all about mass. Yeah. And it, when I look back... I didn't know this at the time, but when I look back now, I feel like every piece has been slowly, like, pulling and stretching that apart so that it has like now it's in this room and it's very spread out but it it kind of drew from that really voluminous form that was like you know putting a boulder in a space as opposed to yeah, like yeah. putting a spider web in a space <laughs> right um yeah yeah well i just noticed like with what's what's going into familiar is that there's a lot of framing that's going on like in the space yeah um and, like, I didn't know if they were acting as a viewfinder. Yeah, I mean, I guess I, you know, it's funny. I feel like, like, saying, like, viewfinder, window, doorway, like, those are all, like, accurate. Um, but I also, I think, was thinking about it in terms of, like, like, just articulating the perimeter of shapes and, or, like, edges. I was thinking a lot about edges. Yeah. Um, and kind of ended up with a lot of open space because of that. So, oh, wow. like, with the wooden sections, you know, it's it's just the perimeter of a shape. Those mugs, the little yeah. ceramic pieces, um, they don't have, I mean, I'm calling them mugs, but they don't have bottoms to them. Right. So as I was making those, I was just thinking about the sort of perimeter of these circles and these volumes 
um, with the shirt forms, I was thinking a lot about the edges of, and sort of how that edge was moving. So, um, you mentioned, you know, the sort of like a poem is never finished. It's, it's, it just gets abandoned. Is that the quote? Yeah. Something like yeah. that. I think that like is more true of this show than, than anything else I've made. Or it's like, I, um, was thinking more poetically and thinking more about kind of letting things breathe, letting it open up. In fact, our, our statement that we submitted to the gallery to accompany the show, um, is just a poem that we wrote together. <laughs> oh, wow. Cause it was like, it felt too heavy to like, try to like lay down some paragraphs about what the work was about. Um, yeah. and we're like, let's just put some loose words down and let it, let it be as open as the, as the objects are. So, is that poem going to be posted at the show? Um, yeah, I don't know. I think ultimately it'll be on the website of the um, of the gallery too. Oh, okay. Um, I don't know that it's up there yet, but it was fun and it felt like it. You know, didn't. It's so tough to write a statement and and not to end up writing something that isn't true about the work. You know. Yeah. Oh my God, I'm with you on that one. Yeah. It's, it's really difficult, and I yeah. decided, like, let's just put some loose words down. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. Next, Katie and I talk a bit more about the ceramics she has made for the show, which she calls perimeters. Yeah, yeah I like how if you pick them up and look through them. Yeah. Um, that they're the same kind of uh, perimeter of a shape. Like, I, I mean, this is pretty much what you just said, but I think, it, like, to make it interactive... Then you could look at the fabric hanging through through the you know the bottomless mug, right? Like too, a little just as the wood is acting. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely a relationship. I mean, they're feeding each other in terms of what you can glean from from the roles of these objects, and you know, clearly a t-shirt is worn on a body, so there's like a you know you can't help but relate to that in some intimate way, you know, some physically intimate kind of reference point. Um, yeah, yeah. just wanted that to tie together to these, um, these perimeters, these bottomless mugs, because, you know, I mean, a body is always a vessel, right? When you, when you, yeah. that's, that's an age old kind of interpretation. And so, so these are sort of functionless, you know, they're, they're sort <laughs> of, they can't quite, do anything um but they they have the same skin as a shirt would right like a shirt is kind of a tube also <laughs> so yeah with a, I don't yeah. Know. these things all make sense to me when i'm making them you can fit them over something yeah yeah you i know, feel like it's... it's important to me in the studio to let these kind of reference points kind of jump around you know i was saying yeah before, and you really put them you really put it together, you know? <laughs> I hope so. Like I, I, I mean, I, I'm thinking, like, you know, you have... Um, I was saying way earlier about how you kind of take... Like, taking somebody to a certain point with some of the sculpture, sculpture and then maybe the wood structure kind of drops them off, you know? And yeah. then you have to pick up that connection somewhere else, and maybe that's moving from the T-shirts to the mugs, where you're kind of... In the same way as a poem, maybe you're kind of meandering, and it takes this kind of web to make to make the meaning out of the thing, 
rather just yeah. having one solid singular object. I had previously asked Katie Wynn to talk with me about the visual relation between familiars and this piece by Marcel Duchamp titled The Bride Stripped Bare by Her Bachelors, Even, also known as The Large Glass. Here's our chat about it. So anyway, I was going to say about The Large Glass and Duchamp. I totally, I really liked that actually. I had not, that had not been in my head at all, at least not consciously, you know? Yeah. Um, But that's a great piece. I mean, I love Duchamp. Um, And I've even quoted him in statements for other shows. Oh, cool. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I, I hadn't made that connection myself. But, like, the dimensions of it, the idea of viewing through it, like, absolutely. Yeah, there's mechanisms it. in that too, you know, there's machinery and kind of, you know, the, what is it, the chocolate grinder, is that whatever? Yeah, it's either chocolate or chocolate, I forget. Chocolate but, or something, yeah, it is you a know, grinder. there's this reference to gears and this idea that there would be motion and maybe the yeah, so strings, not... the t-shirts are like the, the broken pieces of the glass, I don't know. Oh yeah, yeah, because it is broken, yeah. and then, But also, because I think the top panel of the large glass is like supposed to be fabric. Like the wedding dress, because I thought it might have been like just visually it went it went there for me, and, yeah. You know because it has the the framing is there, yeah. And there's two panels which, you know, and but but it's almost like the glass. I don't know how important that is. I'm not sure. Maybe it was just simply a functional thing to suspend the imagery, um, but like your imagery is suspended by you know by string and and uh, yeah. But just like you said, it's it implies movement and yeah. Yeah, it, it. At first, I thought like, oh, of course, the dimensions, you know, this sort of tall rectangle. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, oh, there's all these other little things too. Um, <laughs> when I quoted Duchamp in a in a show, it was for a proposal, uh, in a show statement, I should say, it was for a proposal um, for the piece that was called A Chain of Non-Events. Yeah, and I had been reading an article where they they talked about Duchamp and the idea of sort of being being an absurdist and being an abstractionist in things as a way to not participate in society or to be like a non-functioning <laughs> member in some way. And he had this quote that he was just talking about his bicycle wheel, where he basically just said, you know. I like looking at it like flames dancing in a fire, like this idea of like this spinning or this repetitive thing that you could just watch and it's never going to change. It's never going to, you know, nothing is going to progress in any way. Um, and that was very much on my mind when I did the chain of non-events piece. So, I mean, he's in my head, I guess is what I should say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And of course we were talking about that in relation to the, the work that's going in familiar is just to be yeah yeah just I mean, to be clear for the listeners because I don't know how well I introduced that <laughs> well and that's a theme that kind of um, non-progressive motion and and sort of stasis of motion is something that is in a lot of my work too so that's a I haven't been able to get rid of that yet either in the next segment Katie shares a bit more about the t-shirts that are part of the work to be installed in the show. Uh, like, I think we might have said something about it being a drawing, but I just wasn't sure if 
they if you consider the fabrics of the t-shirts as being representational or like maybe acting as portraiture yeah in some way in some way um i don't know if i would quite use the word portraiture but i could confess that they are not just any t-shirts like those are well-worn well-lived-with t-shirts that uh, either I or my father have worn for more years than I could count. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like these are the these are the ones that got so worn out that they're full of holes, and um, so they they absolutely have like a really tender kind of personal start. And that's not to say that. Um, like, I, I don't make them with the intent that that's going to be a really, like, private language. But I think if you see the T-shirts in person, you it's important to me that you know that they are well-worn. Like, those are, those are long-lived-with T-shirts that are now kind of making their own movements. They're, like, a little bit ghostly at times, or, like, haunt, like haunting a little bit. But then they're yeah. also kind of comical. Or, um, like, the black-and-white T-shirt you know, with the white t-shirt with the black stripes, it kind of yeah. looks like it's just like waving a little, like, <laughs> like if I imagine where your arm would be if you were like waving in a t-shirt or something. Oh, wow. So. It's quite hypnotizing, I think, on the whole. Yeah, the, yeah. The movements, yeah. Definitely. Next, Katie shares her thoughts on the shortcomings of defining things and the labeling of objects, which can greatly affect experience. I think you, you spoke about earlier that sometimes artist statements aren't really what the work's about. Yeah. And I actually enjoyed your artist statement. Uh, I read it a few times and I was trying to pull something from it that I could say and ask. Sure. But I guess partly it's like, do you think that defining actually uh, can be uncovering a depth and meaning or does it have the opposite effect? And um, to also like as doing so like I feel like you you felt that it's a simplifying and to to come right from your statement said deny the complexity of experience yeah I mean I guess I guess the thing about like labels and definition is that they are it's this sort of inescapable problem because we need them in order to speak about things in order to communicate and yet and yet it's really limited and I I think all the time about Joseph Kosuth's Three Chairs. Do you know that piece? Um, no. I think a lot of it, it's in all it's in the art history books for sure. And it's like he's a conceptual artist, and I don't make work that looks like his at all. And I really don't think about him much except for this one piece where he put a physical chair, like a literal chair, there, and then there's a photograph of a chair, and then there's the definition of the word chair. Oh. And there's just something that happens. There's this schism where you can't, they're all trying to be the same thing, and yet they all feel so different. You know, to read a definition of a chair, to be in the presence of the chair, to see an image of the chair, they all kind of compete with each other in some kind of way. And so I think about that in the studio. I was thinking about that when I wrote um, that section of my my statement, this kind of like, it's like the shortcomings of definition or the shortcomings of having labels for things. Yeah. 
I wonder which experience would be, if you had to pick one, which would you pick, the chair, the photograph, or the definition? Oh, the chair. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> physical. I'll go for the physical world, for okay. sure. Yeah. Speaking of defining and labeling, I asked Katie Wynn to come up with three to five words to describe her work. Um, I don't know if I can. <laughs> You can pick Thank one of the you. pieces if you'd like to. You know, I was actually thinking when I was thinking that I could use the last sentence of my um, my statement that's on my website, which is escape banal escape death, escape banality, escape definition. Like that's something right. that I always keep in my head, but that's not really descriptive in the sense of of, of what the installations are doing. That's maybe descriptive of of what I'm rallying against in my own head. Do you have words that you would describe my work with, or? I did, yeah, I wrote some down. I would love to hear those. Okay, so the first one, smile. Nice. And wizardry. Oh, all right. Piano music. Nice. And shadow. Wow, okay, you should write a poem next time. <laughs> I'll have you write my, my poem statement for my next show. Okay, let's go for it. I shared a quote, and I was curious as if you have one that you could share. Oh, um, well, I did think of one, although she's, she's not a visual artist. I mean, she kind of does, like, poetry books that have a, a, a specific visual layout to how the, the words lay out. Um, but I should preface it by saying I don't generally collect like artist quotes, so okay. <laughs> I don't want it to sound like something that I look at every day and that I meditate on. Um, but there's this woman, I don't actually know how to say her name properly because I've never heard anybody say it. It's, I think it's Sia Ryan. She's like Finnish or something. Um, okay. and she has this book called Zaroom with these wonderful little poetic quotes and one of them is, uh, time is merciless, space is faithful. Time is merciless, space is faithful. And I, I just think that's really accurate. <laughs> and um, I don't know. So there's something about that that, you know, feels relevant to me <laughs> in what I'm doing in my studio and and... It's so succinct, too, the way she put it, so. Yeah, it's almost like something you could meditate on. Yeah, oh, absolutely, you know? yeah. And c certain people call that a cone or a koan. Oh, really? Like a modern okay. day, yeah. Um, and it's just like a saying, and I'm, I forget the, the origin of that word. It might be Buddhist. But again, I'm, I'm not 100% sure. You but it sounds like something. Write that down in an email for me. <laughs> I'm sorry. You might have to write that down in an email for me, so I. Okay, yeah, they're, they're interesting, and you know. Yeah. I actually, uh, yeah, I, I'm not gonna put this in because I don't want to, you know. <laughs> I just share it with you because you thought that was interesting, and one that I remember that I can't, that I thought of, that someone called a a, a modern day Cohen or cone was, I am bulletproof and she is gravity. Oh, okay. So it's kind of like the format is that it's sort of this this comparative like this and that yeah i think that might be the 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 idea with those Curious, yeah and something that also may not make sense 
no matter how you slice it, but it's still something that you Somehow recite. Or... <laughs> like, how is that even possible? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. So, so that's cool. Do, do you have a quote that you thought of for, for my work or that you thought was relevant? I actually thought of, I could, just because uh, I'd like to, and for some reason, I think it's because um, I thought about situation, and I, I don't think I've ever used situation before in relation to art, which is just weird. Yeah. Shouldn't that come up all the time? But um, And I think it's because of this quote um, that it made me think of how to introduce, like, one of my ideas for your work, which was the, like, fantastical domestic situations. Um, and I can't say that um, Howard Hodgkin didn't influence that because of one of his quotes. Mm -hmm. And so... Of course, he passed away recently, and um, but so this is his quote that's credited to him: "I am a representational painter, but not a painter of appearances. I paint representational pictures of emotional situations." Yeah, very nice. You know, when you were thinking, of, when you were asking about quotes, to yeah. you know, if there are artists whose quotes I liked, I was like, "Oh man, I don't really like." collect I mean I'm sure I could flip through sketchbooks and see things I wrote down from artists and stuff but like yeah. that's not really something I do a lot of but I thought of the Jean, the Jean Baudrillard book I mentioned and then another one I thought of um that I was like oh I think about this book all the time in my studio is a book of poetry by um David Berman do you know him okay no um the book is called Actual Air and oh wow I don't know. You might like it. It's it. He's actually um, he was the lead singer of a band called the Silver Jews. The Silver yeah. Jews. Yeah. Oh, okay. I don't really know the music, but I've heard of it. Yeah, he. So he's young, relatively. Yeah, I mean, he might be. He's probably in his early forties now. Um. I don't. The band doesn't exist anymore, but he. It's just an amazing lyricist. I think, if anything, I mean, the music is great, but like his lyrics are just so potent. It's, I just think they're amazing. And yeah. I don't know that I don't read a lot of poetry, especially stuff that's like recent, but yeah, I, that would be my one recommendation. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah, I'm yeah. gonna look it up. Actual air, actual air. Yeah, there's a poem, um, I think it's called self-portrait at 27 or something in that book that's like a favorite i don't know how many times i've reread <laughs> that poem <laughs> <laughs> that's cool yeah um yeah i don't know it's like he's it's, not buddhist uh, it's not like that stuff but <laughs> okay no that's cool yeah i'll check it yeah. out i'll look for that poem for what's sure. good about him is that it's like it's very it's weirdly like contemporary. Do you know what I mean? Like he doesn't, it's not poetry that like tries to like be flowery, even though we, you know, live in a world with, with electric tie motors and all of these things. You know what I mean? Like not that he talks about those specifically, but it, you know, it feels yeah. very contemporary um, in a way. The conversation now focuses back on the show and it's beginning stages of planning. There's like a corner piece, like a partition with that one main uh, yeah. structure, you know, yeah. 
and yet it, it's still just as inviting. Yeah. Um, I mean, I kind of, so when we proposed the show, I actually wrote that we were going to make a rectangle out of one by three pieces that was going to be like a, like a scaled down uh, version of the room, the rectangle of the room. And, and as we started, it's like, as we started working, we realized that that was really enclosing us. And, and so we never literally built it. We were sort of like mentally like broke it apart. And so that little corner piece is like still referencing the corner of the room to me in some way, yeah. but like we never really built that. Cause I was like, Oh God, this is going to feel like a big cage. It's going to be too visually. It was too uniform in the space and it wasn't going to let us kind of play with the composition enough, you know, to put this big okay. cube in there. But, um, so I guess I'm saying it, it evolved, like the kind of letting it breathe and kind of like making those compositional choices that all just evolved. And I had made one of the t-shirt pieces when we were first kind of proposing the show and realized yeah. like, okay, there could be more of these, you know, it can be, you know, this kind of open, you know, composition and, and we just kind of going to see what happens. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. I like it. It made me think of uh, like, say an exhibit at a museum of some kind, you know, like whether it's, uh, yeah, like, cause one of the shirts, I think it's the, the black and white striped one. It's, it's so in that, that, framing unit i forget how you would call them which made sense to me but i, I can't yeah. remember what it was but anyway just the perimeter, the perimeter. The perimeter. yeah uh, the yeah. open yeah. yeah the open space there and um it's almost like it's like maybe i think that's the 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 piece of the hole that made me think of the large glass because it looks like that shirt's embedded between yeah glass. that's yeah totally. and it were like there'd be a plaque telling you what it is yeah right because once you like once you view it, like the T-shirt in that window, it is it is in its frame. It is totally yeah yeah. And I guess the difference is you're able yeah. to move around it, and there's a depth to that frame because it has a it has a string going out the back of it, so it like right. breaks out a little bit. I mean, of course, a lot of the things you make are sculptural, and but I feel like how do they? Like still, still witnessing a happening within a room, and this one is like you're engaging with the room a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, that's... which I think is cool um, because you become more of a part of it, and it's yeah, I don't, I don't, I can't quite think of the words, but I, I guess it's that's the element that becoming a part of it versus like witnessing something. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely. And the way you see, and mm -hmm. um, it's it's. I think you did say something about it being more poetic, and I think it is. It's like definitely there's there's more room for the viewer, and not just physically. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I feel like that's maybe that's part of what I was trying to do in these last few pieces. We were talking about like what's this change that's happening, and yeah, you know, I even talked about when we were talking about the statement and what the work's about. I'm also like moving that over now, and all of it is about like not coming in with so much that I, that I'm like holding on to with the work, 
but just letting it breathe and letting it, you know, be informed more by what people are bringing into it. And like, if the core of it is strong, not, you know, not literally, but <laughs> you know, if, if the, the, whatever that sort of anchoring the work is, is like close to something true, then it's gonna, it's gonna be good no matter what somebody's bringing into it and sort of interpreting through it and stuff. So yeah, does that make sense? <laughs> I don't know if this is what you were trying to say, but as far as how I received it, like for myself, like if I was doing a similar thing, like where I was making a, a, a different advancement with my work and not putting so much into it, like have have like a preconceived idea of what I want or like like being so attached to something. Yeah. Oh, it has to get in. It's not sensitive to the project, but I want it in there anyway. Yeah, totally. I'm definitely at a point where I'm really trying to like investigate what that means to be like sensitive to what the work is doing as opposed to what I want. Um, yeah. In fact, when I, the whole show actually started with like a bunch of really small sketches um, that are going to be a book at the show. I didn't even mention that yet, but oh, <laughs> yeah, cool. I, should, I should say that. Um, there's a, so Haynes, the other artist is also like, he does a lot of design work um, and he does a little bit of book publishing, like small artist publications. And so um, the little book will be in the shop at the gallery. But, but anyway, I mean, they're really minimal kind of, you know, just a few lines makes this maybe like a situation on a page. And um, when I started in the, in the studio, it was like, well, I'm just going to indulge myself and not, and that was actually the word I had in mind. I was like, I'm going to indulge myself and not decide ahead of time all the pieces I'm going to make for this show or all the ways that it's going to come into existence. Like I just, I made a little bed and that little bed's not going in the show. <laughs> I don't know. I just made a small bed and then I made a hanging t-shirt piece and that, you know, led to some other things, but I didn't make it with this sort of like, um, firm grasp of what the piece was going to end up being. I just knew more of an emotional tone that I wanted it to hit. So, yeah, it's like living simply in, in a way, like if it were very functional. Yeah. Yeah. Probably some of the best advice that I've been given in studio visits um, from, you know, various teachers or other artists or whatever is to let things breathe. And yeah. I think I'm doing that now more and more. Thanks for listening to part two of the interview with Katie Wynn. If you haven't yet, please seek out part one at artcast.com. Of course, we were talking about previous work as well as Katie's new installation, set to be installed in Familiars, a two-person show with Haynes Riley. The show opens Friday, April 7th at Sediment Arts in Richmond, Virginia. Please check out the blog post for more info. Many thanks to Katie Wynn for making time to share her thoughts, and a little shout-out to Kate Venturini for introducing me to Katie's work. This has been Oddcast. I'm your host, Philip J. Mellon. Thanks for listening, and keep the dialogue going. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Let me ask you this. Define abstract art.
Oh, come on. Okay, here's a better one. What does this painting mean? <sighs> I'm getting nowhere with this. Forget it. <laughs> Hotcast Home is A-H-T-C-A-S-T dot com. Thanks again. Uh, what do you feel is affected more, you or the or the work? What exactly are you wondering about when you ask that? Or is that something that you think about in your own studio? Cause I uh, pretty much. I feel like it's like the kind of growth that might be involved and like the level of patience that you might have to call upon yeah. to finish something <laughs> sure. and how it's not even not even always so easy to make something. Yeah. Whether it's unforeseen like circumstances that complicated or you get in the way or you the song influences you too much or yeah um, well I'll tell you when I so that is how I when I read it I was sort of like hmm I wonder I wonder what you you know what you're getting at with that question and the only way I could think about it was in terms of um my process and like what yeah. it's like being in the studio making the work and absolutely like once I start listening to an album and making a piece of work, I can't listen to any other albums. <laughs> like that is the album. So it's maybe it's worth mentioning the album for this show. <laughs> Not yeah. that you have to listen to it while you look at the pieces, but it's John Cale. Um, he did an album called Vintage Violence. Um, yeah. And it's, it's worth listening to. And there's a song called Charlemagne that... I kept listening to over and over and I thought this is the this is my soundtrack for this piece of there this installation like I'm glad you have one because I actually uh, most of the interviews I try to think of a band or a song or something that oh. kind of points to it and a lot of times it'll happen like naturally and I'll find myself listening to it as I'm preparing for the interview but anyway like I, I couldn't do it for yours. <laughs> well, you see, think, maybe maybe it'll feel right to you, or maybe it won't. I'll let you, you know, yeah, you can yeah. take creative license to use it or not. But um, it's <laughs> just funny it. how much that influences you when you're making something. It's like, nope, I can't listen to another album for like months now in the studio because <laughs> I'm locked in. Um, it's a great album anyway. But... Um, I also like when I'm in the studio, it, I really, I'm a brooder. Like I go in there okay. and I'm dissatisfied, you know, m more often than not. Um, it's so funny to like want to be an artist and then be constantly like in turmoil every time you're in your studio. But there's something about like trying to make something that ultimately feels very light and, and, there's a kind of limited amount of marks that I'm putting into the show. If it is a drawing that like, I'm really being careful about what ones I am putting in. And so there's a lot of making and remaking and, and things get changed and rebuilt a lot. And so just in terms of like what is being affected more, it's definitely a give and take when I'm in the studio.